0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, a venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night. And of course, as you already know, FOMO Sapiens 24-7. Now, I wanna talk about the future, where we're going. And one of the things that makes me think about the future is space travel. We have been watching this space race between Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos, and it just feels like rich guys fighting over spaceships. But if you look under the surface, there's actually a lot going on there. And and I have a friend from business school who's in the business of space. And what's crazy is when you're in the business of space, everything is on like a 20-year timeline. So you're like, hey, give me your money, investors, see in 20 years. But actually, that's not always the case. And in fact, one company in particular that I found is doing space kind of right now. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how one company's building a different kind of space travel company, really kind of space travel for the rest of us, not just the Bransons and the Bezoses. And my guest is Ryan Hartman. He is the president and CEO of Worldview. Prior to joining worldview, he served as president and CEO of in a pioneer in the design development and manufacturing of unmanned aircraft systems for intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance and military and commercial applications. Now, Ryan brings over 20 years of experience in unmanned flight systems and aerial remote sensing to worldview. In addition to his tenure at nc Ryan previously led Raytheon's unmanned systems directorate of the advanced programs division. That is a mouthful. He's a veteran of the U.S. Air Force and U.S. Navy and a graduate of Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. And here's what you're gonna learn today. First of all, Ryan's gonna tell us why he's doing this. What is the purpose? Because he's a very purpose-driven person. Why build a company to take people to space? What is the point of all of that? Then we're gonna get into his experience because he comes from sort of like big company land, you know, Raytheon and all these other sort of large businesses. What's it like for him to jump into a space startup? It's a kind of a wild and crazy world. So we'll talk about that. And then finally, he's going to explain the experience that he is giving people is giving people, and why it's not just about FOMO, but it's also about giving people something meaningful versus just the hype, you know, of this kind of like ridiculous space race that we see. So it's really interesting if you're trying to build a purpose-driven business, the way Ryan is thinking about it in a business that takes hundreds of millions of dollars to build is really fascinating. He's just a total rock star. And you'll see in the conversation, just a very different kind of person from you know, some of the other things we've had on the show because just space is just, some say it's the final frontier. Oh God, forgive me for that. All right, now my small ask for you today. We are in the end of the year, the holiday season, lots of gifts to give. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com and buy your loved ones some merch. I promise you it's really nice. I wear mine all the time. Check it out. I promise you will enjoy it. All right, and now onto the interview. As you know, I start every interview with the same question, and Ryan did not escape that question, so I started our interview by asking him this: What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today?
1: Well, I love that question, Patrick, and that that decision was to dedicate my career uh, to purpose. Uh, and uh, you know, somewhere along the way, it really resonated with me the idea of dedicating one's you know gifts, their talents, um, what have you, to purpose.
0: I love that. And wh- how do you define purpose?
1: Well, so it, it it changes for everybody. For me, um, uh, purpose is all about having a positive impact. Uh, and I think it what really originated the idea of purpose and, and the intersection um, of leadership um, was watching my grandfather, my grandpa Hartman. He was a cattle rancher um, in Southern Arizona. And I watched how He led his team of ranch hands, cowboys, if you will, with a a sense of dedication to them uh, and a sense of dedication to their future. And he often talked about leaving people better than he found them. But then he also was an incredible steward of the land. You know, I watched him be very intentional um, with how he raised cattle on land, you know, how he managed the land, um, and just always made sure it was vibrant. And, and I, you know, I used to have conversations with him just trying to learn, you know, what I could about, uh, being in the ranching business i guess as a child i always thought oh, i'm going to follow my father and my grandfather into ranching um not uh, uh i don't know if there is a 180 to ranching but if there is it's probably space um <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that- <laughs> but
1: anyway, I, I used to just like have these incredible conversations with them and it was just fun to learn you know how dedicated he was to things like that
0: so Yeah, I think that's the origin for for me of what purpose means. It's funny as as you're talking about the land. In my head, I'm seeing like a prairie and I'm seeing a horse and, you know, some lassos and things. But I was just thinking exactly that. You've just painted this picture for me that's like all about groundedness in the land. And today we are going to go many, 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 many miles above that into the realm of space uh, because you are the CEO of Worldview and you are in that space. And I was telling you before we started chatting, just so everybody knows, I went to space camp in fifth grade, but I have to be very honest with you. I didn't go because I had some deep and fundamental interest in space. I went because my friends were going and I had FOMO. So even (laughs) little Patrick made his parents spend a lot of money to go to Huntsville, Alabama. (laughs) But I am interested in it, of course, as we all are, and it is so much of the future. So talk to us before we get going. Tell us about Worldview. What does Worldview do Mm -hmm. today, and where are you taking the company?
1: Well, um, there's two sides of our business. Um, And I'll start with our purpose, since that's where we started our conversation. But our purpose is to inspire, create, and explore new perspectives for a radically improved future. That's why we Mm -hmm. exist. Uh, And we do so through what uh, we call remote sensing. So using our technologies uh, to gather um, imagery, data, um, insights into what's happening on the surface of the earth. And then separately, we have a space tourism business where we're taking people uh, to the edge of space um, where... Uh, what they can experience is viewing the curvature of the earth, viewing the darkness of space, you know, and and really understanding, uh, you know, the earth from a completely different and inspired perspective. Um, And so that's who we are today. And, in the future you know we'll, we will be the largest space tourism business that exists um and i say that through just the sheer number of people that we aim to take into uh um uh, space into uh, the stratosphere and beyond and and that's uh that's uh, that's our plans for the
0: for the future now you didn't start out in the space world you were in aerospace of course you worked Ran, you know, we're president, chief executive officer for in situ, which is division of Boeing. You were at Raytheon before that. So you came from the bigger, more established players that have like huge CapEx budgets that have these big relationships. And you left that. And I'm like, you know, which sounds kind of like very cushy in a sense. Right. And then you jump into this world where you're raising money. You've already raised over 100 million dollars from investors. You're in this very entrepreneurial environment. And I'm curious, like, what, what was it that, that got you to jump into the crazy, insane world of entrepreneurship?
1: Well, uh, you know, I did start it In Situ. Well, actually, it, it goes back to, I guess, the beginning of my professional career. You know, I, I was in the Air Force and then I was in the Navy. That's a, probably a topic for another <laughs> show. Um, but uh, um, after I left the Navy, I joined a really small company called Tiburon. Uh, we were a data fusion company, so think of that as being, you know, AI, um, uh, before AI existed. It was all about you know, taking disparate data and, and turning it into something useful. Uh, and then we got bought by Texas Instruments Defense, and then they got by Rayth- bought by Raytheon, and so now all of a sudden I'm in a big uh, company. And, and, I, and I guess, really, I grew up inside of that company, but uh, I, I had joined Tibron for a reason, and the reason I joined Tibron is... I always felt comfortable working in, you know, smaller um, enterprises, if you will, smaller teams that had the potential to grow. Um, But I learned some incredibly useful skills in being a part of a very large enterprise. You know, the idea of of, of what it takes to run a company that is predictable and consistent and the the importance of meaningful process, the meaningful procedures. I want to say meaningful, that they actually have to contribute to something good, right? Um, And so uh, over Time it it, uh, it it became challenging working in a large company just because at my core you know I I really wanted to be a, uh, involved with something small, and so there was this this company in Situ uh, that was led by Dr. Steve Sliwa he happened to be the president of the university I went to Embry Riddle Aeronautical University uh, we had uh, stayed in touch and. Uh, and they had sold the company to Boeing, but, uh, um, but we're still operating the company as an independent company. It was a, a, a non fully integrated subsidiary, is, is how they uh, uh, described it. And so, uh, you know, he, he, he made an offer for me to come over and potentially you know, end up on the succession plan to, to lead the company. And that's exactly how it ended up. And, you know, when I was there, we, for the entire time that I was there, um, for I guess what seven eight years, um, the uh, the company operated as that independent standalone company, and and I learned a lot about entrepreneurship in that way. And when I when I was there, you know, I was often asked to describe what is the what is the relationship with Boeing and how does that work, uh, and I described it just through an analogy that that really felt appropriate and. Um, and it's, uh, around camping. So my family and I, we love camping. Uh, and when we go camping, we don't go to campgrounds. We don't go to, you know, uh, you know, established areas. We go out into the wilderness and we love wilderness camping and just being on our own. Uh, um, whether it be through backpacking or whatever. Um, and running a company like in situ is exactly like that, except that you were doing wilderness camping right next door to an REI. <laughs> <laughs> And so when you forgot something or like you, you needed a skill that you didn't have, you popped over into, you know, REI or in this case, Boeing and, and got this, the tools you needed, got the skills you needed. And then you went right back to roughing it uh, in, the, uh, in the wilderness. And, and I learned a lot about resourcefulness that way. I learned a lot about you know, organic growth. I learned a lot about um, you know, the importance of, of, of being able to grow organically, but also, you know, what it meant to take risks and take calculated risks. Um, and, you know, and it really paid off at In Situ when I took over as CEO and we were about 400 employees doing a little less than, than 400 million in revenues. Um, and we grew it to 1,500 employees and, and uh, we're approaching a billion dollars in revenue and all of that through learning about organic growth. But uh, but I started to get the same sense, the same feeling of, boy, this is a big company. This is uh, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of work in you know, in feeding the machine that is Boeing, and 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 it was really rewarding. But uh, but I I, I felt a, a need or a desire to get back to purpose and to get back to you know, leading something that uh, um, that that needed to, to go through growth and needed to cross the chasm, and um, and so I and I, I sought. That out. I wanted to find a company that I could really um, uh, establish a purpose around and lead it through purpose and um, and get to uh, the next level.
0: FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO Sapiens Now that right there was Portuguese, and as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel You know, this analogy of camping, I'm just thinking when I was a kid, I, I grew up in Maine, right? So I camped outside in our lawn, which basically, by the way, is like deep in the woods. But as an adult, I've done a lot of very off the grid kind of stuff in like, you know, Central Asia. You know, you're out in mm-hmm. the Tian Shan mountains and you're like, well, I better not mess up here because like they'll never find me. And you have <laughs> to go, you have to train near the REI, but you have to go off the path. To see the most yes. spectacular vistas and to really find out who you are, and mm-hmm. so I, I I love the way you frame that up because I wouldn't have thought about it that way. But you're so right. Now I want to before we get into more of the experience because I do want to just talk about the space travel experience. It's so interesting. I want to understand the tech because you you know you, you can't raise over a hundred million dollars if you don't have something special that you're doing. So where is the technology and the IP, the intellectual property that you're building in this company?
1: Well, so so it's in a couple different areas, and and it uh, um, it really comes down to being able to uh, use our technology, which is um, uh, stratospheric balloons, right? So these are very large balloons that take instruments up to the the edge of space, and so you know our IP is captured in two different uh, fairly broad patents on how to how to how to use the technology, and so on the remote sensing side. Uh, you'll, you'll get, you'll appreciate this. The, on the remote sensing side, we have a patent called uh, the whole enchilada. (laughs) Uh, And that patent um, is, um, is to use a stratospheric balloon coupled with a, um, a device to carry instruments, et cetera. Um, And then also a, 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 a key piece of technology that enables us to navigate in the stratosphere. So one of the things that's, I'll get a little bit, geeky on you if you don't mind, Patrick, but uh, um, one of the interesting things in the stratosphere is that there are four directional winds at different altitudes. Now, you know, the stratosphere, it's, it's, uh, it's a very low pressure environment. There's very little oxygen. And so, you know, the movement of air is, is not, you know, significantly impactful, but it is. Uh, um, but there are these winds that go in these four directionals or, or in, in four directions. And so if you can control your altitude, you can go in whatever direction you want. Um, and so um, so we we designed a solution where we have this lift balloon and then we have the separate balloon that we call a ballast balloon. We pressurize that with air in the stratosphere. that creates mass so that it's heavier than the helium and you can descend the balloon and then you release the pressure and it ascends again. Right. And so uh, so that's a very unique uh, set of technologies that enables you to, to freely navigate in the stratosphere. And so that's part of our IP portfolio. And then separately, we have a, a, a patent on the space tourism side um, that's called the kitchen sink. So remote sensing mm-hmm. is the whole lot on the space tourism side. It's a kitchen sink. The So what we do there is we use the same lift technology, the, the stratospheric balloon, which has been around for ages. But we apply it to flying space capsule, mm. being able to stay in the stratosphere for a very long period of time. And then using a patented uh, parafoil uh, approach where we can deploy a parafoil in the stratosphere, which enables us to uh, reliably and consistently get to a specific landing site. So the whole thing is very well controlled, the whole thing uh, the whole entire experience you launch from a known location and you land in a known location you're not having to you know you um, know um, uh, just use a parachute to come straight down and land wherever you might land you're not going to be using you know the the solution to, to land in water which is a very uh, you know unpredictable and unknown environment uh, and so you know with our patent and our approach it's entirely uh, controlled through from launch to landing and so so that's where the, the you know the the IP and the you know the patents are applied uh, inside a worldview.
0: This is so cool. I'm, I'm as you're talking. I'm looking at the website for the space tourism, and so this <laughs> this, this is going to launch in 2024. You can leave from the Grand Canyon, Amazonia, Brazil, Norway, Aurora Borealis. You can do the pyramids in Egypt. You can do the Serengeti. the, the you can go to Mongolia for the Great Wall of China, the Barrier Reef. So, like very strategic thinking on how to generate FOMO my friend, you got things to teach me. (laughs) And what I want to do now, because I just love, I mean, this is, this is coming down the pike and I assume you're, you know, you wouldn't put that on your website if you're not pretty sure it's going to, going to happen. Let's generate a little FOMO. Walk us through the experience of what it's going to be like to get into one of your capsules and go into the stratosphere. Like, is this, and like, also I'm going to ask you to like compare that to like just so we have like a level setting to, you know, all the space race with Bezos and Richard Branson, like yeah, sure. how that all compares.
1: Speaking of FOMO, I, I am I'm, I'm leaving this podcast to drive to the airport so that I can fly to El Paso, Texas and drive to Van Horn, Texas, so I can watch the next Blue Origin launch tomorrow morning. So. Uh, you just
0: had a <laughs> so. show off, didn't you? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but anyway, so. You know, I'm, I'm not going to start with entering the capsule because our experience is so much more than that, uh, Patrick. And, mm. and there's a reason why we have these seven sites. We call them uh, Seven Wonders of the World Stratospheric Edition. Mm. Um, um, and each one of these sites plays a critical role in the customer experience. And so I'll just use Spaceport Grand Canyon as an example. It's the first one that we'll be opening. And so the, the customer experience is not just a flight, but it's a, a five-day experience at these locations. And so the, the intent here is, is to bring people to someplace like Spaceport Grand Canyon and truly introduce them and immerse them in the area that they're going to be seeing from above, right? So uh, spend some time touring the Grand Canyon, go to Antelope Canyon, go to the Montezuma Valley, um, um, we'll we'll have curated experiences where people can sit down with Navajo Nation leaders or Hopi Nation leaders and have a meal with them and learn about the history of Navajo Nation or Hopi Nation. You know, or maybe it's getting on a on a helicopter and flying to Las Vegas and having an incredible meal one day. But you know, the whole idea is truly immersing people in uh, these very unique, uh, wondrous places around the world. You know, and uh, the end result of that is one is they get to know the area, they understand the fragility of the area, they get to witness the beauty of an area. Um, but they also get to understand the history of it. And, and, you know, think about one day, you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, you're seeing this canyon that's more than a mile deep, it's, it's you know, several miles across, uh, and you're just seeing how massive the Grand Canyon is. And then the very next day, you're ascending above it, and you're looking down and seeing how small the Grand Canyon is in the big picture. Right. And so uh, so that five day experience is really important on the day of the flight. Um, the, the our passengers, our customers will arrive before sunrise, uh, will load them up before sunrise and then we'll ascend them to uh, uh, the stratosphere where they'll get to watch the sunrise um, against uh, the backdrop of the darkness of space and then look at look at the sun. Rising o- around the curvature of the earth, right? It's complete blackness behind it. There's the curvature of the earth. You're watching the sunrise um, and seeing likely the most spectacular sunrise you've ever seen in your life just because it's so unique. Um, and so once, uh, once you're in the stratosphere and you watch the sunrise, um, in, uh, they're gonna the customers will be in the stratosphere for uh, generally four to six hours on on most flights. Sometimes a little bit longer, sometimes a little bit shorter. But they, but but during that time, it, you know they'll they'll be seeing unique things. You know from the Grand Canyon, of course they'll see the Grand Canyon. They'll be able to see the Rocky Mountains. They'll be able to see some of these unique things around the area. But then they'll also be able to see the galaxies, right? So we'll have a telescope on board and will draw their attention to, you know, here it is, 10 a.m., broad daylight. Let's look at some stars, right? Let's look, at, uh, let's look at some unique things that are not obscured by, you know, the light of day or, you know, uh, light pollution in a city. Let's, let's, uh, let's spend some time enjoying the stars. Um, there will be a bar on board, so those who decide that they want to imbibe in a, in a cocktail will be able to, to, uh, uh, to enjoy a cocktail. There will be a light meal served um, and just a time to spread. So spend uh, with your fellow passengers in a very unique uh, uh, environment. And then, you know, after the four to six hours, we'll start our descent and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll fly them back down to uh, our landing sites and then they'll uh, be picked up and transported back to the spaceport where they will then uh, have an opportunity uh, to have uh, a meal. Right. And one of the things that's really important in this experience, Patrick, uh, is, you know, I'll, I'll say the integration side of it, right. The understanding, what did I just experience? Cause this is going to be a, a, you know, truly a peak experience for people. And so I envision, you know, almost a Jeffersonian style meal, right. Where it is a, a single conversation that's, that's taking place. With your fellow passengers talking about the highlights talking about you know what it means for you and doing that over a, a curated meal in a in a private setting where uh, you can talk about you know what you just experienced and uh, from there, you know they can spend a few more days at the spaceport um, and, and take advantage of the, the spaceport itself, where there will be virtual reality experiences, you know, fine dining, um, excursions, and those kinds of things as well. So that is the experience. It is uh, by far uh, the most unique tourism experience I, uh, that I believe exists today.
0: FOMO. FOMO. Yeah, what I love about that, because as you talk about this, is this is tourism, but this isn't like sightseeing. It's not, let me check this off the box. And I think a lot of times when I've thought about space tourism, the way it's been framed up is like this really rich person wants to show off versus Mm -hmm. these people want to have a meaningful experience that actually teaches them about our world and then empowers them to maybe Mm -hmm. go out and do some good with what they've learned. Yep. how does this con- exactly. how does this contrast with like the bezos and the and the richard branson kind of stuff i'm curious
1: well so so it comes down to four beliefs it, when when we were designing our space tourism business you know i just spent some time alone thinking about what 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 does space tourism mean and what should uh we define as a space tourism solution and i think more than anything as a child, you know I, I was fascinated by looking at the stars. I was fascinated by reading books, and I and I read this quote, um, and it, it's attributed to Plato. Um, and And the quote goes something like: "For one to truly understand the earth upon which we live, they must first rise to the very edges of the atmosphere beyond and beyond. For only then will they understand, right?" Uh, and, I, and I always. Was always just like captivated by that quote. It's such a, an interesting quote to be, you know, spoken so long ago, um, and and I've always wondered like how 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 did that become something that that uh, someone like Plato understood. And so so that quote has always stuck with me, and I I use that um, in defining what our space tourism business should be. And ultimately, what I came up with is these four fundamental beliefs of what space tourism is all about, um, at least for us. And it's uh, that space tourism uh, is about place, it's about time, it's about attainability, and it's about accessibility. And I think if you talk through those four things those four beliefs that it, it really does contrast the solution. Now let me start by saying I'm huge I'm a huge fan and a huge believer in any any medium possible to 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 deliver people to deliver humans an opportunity to view our Earth and, and experience, a, you know, a, the overview effect, as it's called, you know, the opportunity to see the Earth as being something bigger than themselves, um, seeing it as a living organism, seeing the Earth without borders, seeing the Earth without race. You know, any way that you can do that, I'm a firm believer in and a huge fan of. Um, that said, you know, um, I felt like there's a there was a different way to do this. And it starts with the place, right? And I just walked through, you know, what the customer experience is like um, at our spaceports. Um, and the, the reason that that was important is when you talk to, to astronauts who have experienced the overview effect, one of the things that that is common is it is often triggered when when you see something you recognize right um you know so you know when you first enter uh, you know an environment where you're viewing the earth um, as a planet um you know you're you're likely recognizing it from pictures you've seen and how it's been described before Um, but it's not until you see something that you recognize and that you truly understand you know, that, that you have an emotional reaction, right? Now all of a sudden you're seeing the Grand Canyon, you're seeing how small it is and, and you're recognizing I was, I was just there, I was in the Grand Canyon, right? And look how small it is and look at it, you know, in contrast to the rest of the earth and, um, um, and, uh, against the backdrop of the darkness of space, you know, and so, so, so place became really important both from a, a customer experience perspective, but also from a business perspective, Patrick. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and one of the things that was important to us is, you know, that we, we, we establish a business that can be scaled, right? That, that there's a clear pathway to scalability. And one of the ways to do that is to create more, uh, supply, right? And you can't just create more supply at, at the Grand Canyon. You know, I felt like we had to have repeat customers. And so one way to create repeat customers is to offer very unique experiences, you know, in different locations. So place became really important. And then it was about time, time on the ground, getting to know the area and then time above. So, you know, if you look at the current solutions that exist today, Um, you know, and with uh, with Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic, you spend three to four minutes um, um, at Apogee. So, you know, they're going into the upper uh, stratosphere and and, uh, and a little bit above, Um, but you're spending three to four minutes there. Um, And um, I, I don't know, I guess for me, I find it very difficult um, to imagine that, that everybody can fully understand what they're seeing in three to four minutes, especially when you introduce the phenomena of weightlessness mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time, right? Uh, you know, I, I was watching the very first flight um, um, that Blue Origin did last year, uh, watching it just you know, completely captivated by the, the entire experience. And they had, you know, the 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 live shot from inside the capsule and they were throwing Skittles back and forth. And I and I found myself like screaming at the screen, like, look outside <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, um, and so so there needs to be a time component while you're up there. Right. Yeah. To be able to truly understand what you're seeing, take it in, you know, and, and let it sink in and into and into and form. Multiple lasting memories, right? I want it to be memories of viewing the Grand Canyon, viewing the Rockies, viewing these other things, maybe seeing a weather phenomena while you're up there. You know, tr- deliver multiple. Um, you, you know, uh, lasting memories for people from um, from above, and then the last two beliefs are that it's it, that it has to be attainable and accessible. Attainable being from a price perspective, you know, you can't you can't go on any of the other solutions for less than four hundred and fifty thousand dollars, upwards of twenty seven million dollars mm. of um, for one ticket that was sold, um, and that's great and it's and it, uh, for for those who can afford it, um, but. Um, you know, when we think about why we exist, that we exist to inspire, create, and explore new perspectives for a radically improved future, a radically improved future comes when you can deliver this to as many people as possible. Right. I truly believe that people will have a profound peak experience, uh, that for some will shift their behaviors, right. That they will, they will find a newfound respect for our
0: planet and, and, and want to do something about it. And where, yeah, sorry. And where would that be priced out at? What's your sense of that?
1: Fifty thousand dollars is where uh, where we started our pricing, and you know, and we're constantly looking at how to how to um, maintain a level of attainability through pricing, um, and then uh, um, and then find other unique ways to deliver this to as many people as possible. So one example is our very first flight. Um, We'll go to an organization called Space for Humanity Um, and Space for Humanity um, goes out and and finds uh, people deserving of and or can have a positive impact through an experience of, of going to space. And so our very first flight we sold to Space for Humanity, which means the first eight customers will not have paid a dime for uh, the uh, uh, their tickets, right? And uh, and we'll do many more flights with Space for Humanity. But the point being is we'll constantly be creative and finding ways to deliver this to as many people as possible. Um, and then the last is accessibility. Um, you know, when we thought about space tourism, you know, I, I, I think about uh, people like my Uncle Frank, who was, um, it, 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 you know, I think he was probably the first person I ever had a conversation with about space. Like, you know, just my curiosity around what are the stars and, um, and, and what is space? You know, as a young child, it's hard to like wrap your head around, you know, what, what, like what is up there? Um, And, uh, and my uncle Frank, um, I think more than anything, um, you know, just enlightened me to the beauty of space. But then, Later, you know, I remember being on a sailboat with him once and, and, t- and we were looking at the stars and him talking about you know, how cool it would be to, to go to space. Mm-hmm. And, and then later in his life, um, he ended up with uh, having ALS and he was wheelchair bound um, uh, for the last portions of his life. And it, you know, I think, I think about, you know, had, had we had our solution available in time, even for my uncle Frank, uh, space tourism would have been possible, right? Will Wheel- in a wheelchair coming aboard and experiencing space, you know, for someone who thought that, that, you know, they would have been locked out. And I just, I think about my uncle Frank and think about how many other people are like my uncle Frank, um, that can, that can experience, um, uh, viewing the beauty of our earth and delivering it in a way that, uh, that, that makes it a possibility when they thought it was
0: impossible. It sounds like an amazing experience one that's really well thought out and that uh i would love to maybe the founder of fomo could be one of those recipients of the spot on the plane at some point if it works out but i will tell you and i've read so much about this overview effect that you mentioned and the notion that it changes you forever and that you see the world in a different way once you have experienced it and that you realize that you know we're all in this together so uh, I, I just want to thank you for being here now folks if you want to learn more about this company go to worldview.space or look for worldview space on all the socials and you can find out a lot more Ryan Hartman, CEO of Worldview Space thank you so much for being here it's my pleasure
1: Patrick thanks for having me and uh, and, and thanks for all you do on uh, on fomo sapien
0: fomo